All right, so back to cutting room floor. We're on episode two of this sort of leaning into politics and this political moment. Uh, last episode, we talked about sort of partisan, political. We talked about what it means to participate in a polis mm-hmm. or a community of yeah. people uh, as God's, I don't know, citizens in God's kingdom. Yeah. Um, this time, we want to sort of lean into... So when Jesus hits the ground in the first century, mm-hmm. there are expectations yeah. that pre-existing expectations and assumptions of what this kingdom will look like. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus has to do some like reorienting. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's, let's maybe dig into yeah, that. Yeah, for bit. sure. So again, like we mentioned last time, like one of the main announcements that Jesus is making or the main announcement, I would say, is the kingdom of God is here. This is the good news. This is the yeah. gospel. And there's no point in that kind of announcement or in those stories where someone's like, hey, Jesus, can you pause right there? I have no idea what the kingdom of God <laughs> is. There's just like this inherent assumption and an understanding that when Jesus announces the kingdom of God, people know what he's talking about. Yeah. They, and that's why you... Like, so like last episode, we talked about like reign and rule yeah. in a spatial environment. They have assumptions about, okay, awesome. Yeah, we already we've know. Been we've been waiting for this. Yeah, like that's why there's no list of like exactly what's going to happen. Totally. That's why there's no definition in the New Testament of the kingdom of God is here's like a sentence for you to mm. just copy and paste every time. That's why people discuss and debate what exactly is the kingdom of God. But for them, for Jesus' audience, there was assumptions, ideas. They had expectations. Mm-hmm. And so much of Jesus' ministry is, yes, announcing the kingdom of God, the good news that God's kingdom is here, but also having to kind of flip the script, so to speak, or reorient or readjust people's expectations to what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is all about. That's what I think so much of the parables are. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a sower went out to sow. And there's all these kind of re-kind of adjusting or reconstructing of what the kingdom of God is for his hearers in that moment. So we'll get to more of that as we get more into Mark and Mark 4 especially. But help me understand. So can we start with like what is one expectation that they had? Yeah. That like ended up being like, wow, you missed the totally. Boat. Yes, for sure. I think one of the main expectations that a first century Jew had was that when the Messiah would come, when the king would come and the kingdom of God would come on earth. So the Messiah is Christ. Christ, the in, anointed yeah, one. The anointed yeah. one, this one they're expecting mm-hmm. to show up on the scene to embody the authority of the kingdom yes. and bring it to earth. Bring it to earth. There's all this expectation yeah. that's kind of building since the Old Testament in particular, really in the prophets, and then kind of like the 100 plus years before Jesus, 200 years before Jesus, all this kind of extra Jewish writing is circulating with expectation and hope that when God's Messiah and God's kingdom would come, that God would judge and destroy and kick out the pagan Gentile nations and cleanse Jerusalem and cleanse the promised land from all of sort of the pagan oppression, the Gentile oppression that Israel had been suffering for centuries okay. before then. So like we're talking in the first century, this is like embodied in Rome. Rome, totally. Like Gentile. So we're mm-hmm. talking like ethnic difference. Yes, ethnic difference, racial uh, difference. Yeah, like probably some cultural differences. For sure. Certainly political differences. Exactly. Expectations. And they're hoping, all right, Messiah's on the scene. Mm-hmm. Rome is going to be destroyed. Destroyed, and yes. I mean, probably like annihilated. Annihilated. And that's like the sign that God has shown up. Yeah. And we see evidence of this. Like, yes, there's hints of it throughout the Old Testament, really in kind of what sometimes people call maybe the silent years, kind of yeah. those three, four years. Intertestamental, intertestamental period. period yeah. There's one kind of uh, group of writings. Three or four. Three or four hundred Three or four hundred years. years. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Not three or four years. Three or four hundred years, depending on how you count. Yeah. 
But one group of writings in particular, the Psalms of Solomon, which isn't in like our kind of Protestant Bibles, but it's probably Jewish literature that would have been very familiar. It would have affected first century readers' assumptions. Exactly, because it's actually the only time in the Psalms of Solomon 17 that the phrase kingdom of God is used in that kind of sequence outside of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so it kind of gives us insight into, okay, when Jesus is saying the words, the kingdom of God is here, what would have been some assumptions based on the evidence of the day that people would have had. And when you go to Psalm Psalm 17, what you find is that it's this fairly long prayer of someone crying out to God saying, when you bring the king, when you bring the kingdom, cleanse Jerusalem from the nations that have trampled us, expel the sinners. And when they use that word sinners, they're often thinking about like those people out there, those Gentile, the Gentiles, Gentiles, not, you know, not, not me. I'm not the sinner. It's not not pull the log out of your own. Exactly. That's not exactly that we're, we're miles away from that. And it's this prayer, so to speak, of crying out to God, cleanse Jerusalem, cleanse the Holy Land from the pagans. And that's what it meant for God's kingdom to come. Bring your kingdom is exactly what this kind of is in the background of this writer. And more than likely, a lot of Jewish people in the first century, right around the time of Jesus. So one assumption they had is that the Messiah, the kingdom, Mm -hmm. the king of the kingdom would come. Yes. And just annihilate. Yes. People that were of a different race or ethnicity, Mm -hmm. different culture. So it's this very ethnocentric assumption. Yeah, nationalistic assumption. About like our nation, our people group, Mm -hmm. everyone else. They're our enemy. The Messiah is going to annihilate them. Exactly, yes. And they totally miss the They totally miss it, yes. Because when you come into like the teachings of Jesus and the life and ministry of Jesus... He, one of the things he constantly gets ridiculed for is this, this Jesus, your rabbi, is eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. And so again, though, you know, the sinners is not just like how we might think of like, oh, the person who does bad things, but it's like, those are the people who are outside. Those are the Gentiles. Those are the ones that aren't really a part of the fold who like follow Torah, so on and so yeah. forth. And so I think what Jesus is doing is having to, again, readjust and reorient people's expectations that they got it wrong in a lot of ways. Their expectations of like a very nationalistic, ethnocentric kingdom of God was not at all what Jesus had in mind when he is bringing together all these totally different kinds of people. He is proclaiming and telling his disciples as he's about to ascend into heaven, go out to the nations and make disciples of all nations. Go to the Gentiles. Go to the Gentiles, exactly, right? Go to all these people groups. And then Paul and company kind of carry out that mission going throughout the Greco-Roman Empire, including the Gentiles in the family of God, which creates all of this sort of tension as you get into the rest of the New Testament of like, so what does it mean to actually be the people of God? And so, so much of like, say, Romans and Galatians in particular are written by Paul to address a lot of like ethnocentric division that's happening within these churches in the first century mm. of how the Jews seem to think like, well, it's because we practice Sabbath and follow the Torah and eat these certain kinds of foods and dietary restrictions that we are the people of God and these people aren't. And they're kind of still following in this old mindset. And Paul said, no, 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 hold on a second. No, the kingdom is about recognizing that it's by faith you are declared to be part of the family of God, not by these like ethnocentric practices that define you on the outside. Mm -hmm. And so Paul is really having to push and rail against, Mm -hmm. even post-Jesus, so to speak, these expectations that are still sort of in the air at the time in the first century. So as I'm hearing you, two things kind of stand out. It feels like there's like, there's like a, almost a warning like mm-hmm. built in to this political moment. Yeah. In the first century, the kingdom of God's coming and they have assumptions. Yeah. Uh, and the sort of, I think the first warning built in that like, I think we don't want to repeat is this assumption that 
our expectations mm-hmm. are going to be what God does. Exactly. Yeah. Right. They have this sense that like, man, God is for us and against them. them. Totally. Yeah. Uh, it's this very us, them. It's very partisan. Mm-hmm. It's very adversarial. Yeah. And there's assumption that, oh, God is with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not them. not them. Totally. And man, do they miss it? They miss the boat. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's a huge one to recognize that, especially when you look at the the literature of the day and talking about the old first century yeah. and prior literature that you see these expectations. And then you compare that to the life and ministry of Jesus, where he's using a lot of the same phrases, you know, yeah. son of God, son of David, kingdom of God, so on and so forth. But it's, it's a radically different kind of inclusivity kind of pushing back against those assumptions. Yeah. So then it's like, not only is their assumption wrong, mm-hmm. but it's so wrong that they end up eating at the same table yes. with people that were the very people they wanted destroyed before, which then leads to all kinds of conflict mm-hmm. that we see in Paul's letters in the early church. Exactly. So it's like their assumptions, their political assumptions, mm-hmm. quote unquote, actually create conflict in the, in the early church. In the church, exactly. Because they cannot submit Yes. To God's rule and reign, mm-hmm. his way of being, his political posture. Yes. And they end up creating tension. There's tension. In the church, disunity in the church because of their political assumptions. For sure. Totally. And I think, again, that's one of the things that we're trying to communicate here is if we're seeking to be a people who are in the best sense of the term political, under God's rule and reign, in God's place, yeah. under in God's kingdom. According to his practices. His practices. One thing we have to realize is that when the writers of the New Testament, Paul in particular, and I use Galatians and Romans as kind of examples here, is to see that what the gospel, the kingdom of God is, is addressing a lot of the times in these letters is this kind of falling back on these old assumptions of my tribe and my way of doing things and my kind of group is the one that's correct and is not God's those, way. is God's way and is yeah. not those and not those people over there. Yeah. And ex- that's exactly why Paul even will have to confront Peter to his face in Galatians yeah. chapter two. Yeah. This is exactly why the whole book of Romans, if you kind of read it from like beginning to end yeah. is really this like manifesto and call that the gospel unites Jew and Gentile yeah. and that both kind of fall short, both yeah. not kind of both do fall short, yeah. but both are also welcome to yeah. at the which table. Which is of also Jesus. politically connected because the Jews are expelled from Rome, yes, totally. which then leads the Gentiles to take this like prominent position yes. then they come back in now there's all this tension totally partly shaped by the political environment environment of the day right and um yeah and i guess so as i'm hearing you sort of unpack this and we're chatting it's just like wow that's surprisingly like similar <laughs> similar sure like wow let's not repeat that yeah and i think especially in a very heated divisive yeah. controversial moment it's very easy to kind of gravitate towards my tribe, my way of thinking yeah. is has God's stamp of approval. Yeah. And those people over there don't have God's stamp of approval. Yeah. And then they kind of do this kind of disassociation of I'm right, they're wrong. Yeah. I'm holy, they're unholy. Yeah. And that's getting into the same kind of waters that Paul is addressing in the New Testament in particular, yeah. that's bringing all these expectations and kind of repeating the mistakes of the past. Yeah. And I think a lot of what we're trying to say here is that when we understand a little bit of kind of the background of the kingdom of God in its first century Jewish context, we can kind of be alerted to and perhaps warned as to some of the mistakes that they made back then in an attempt to not make those same mistakes now. Because I would say in a lot of ways, we live in a, yes, a very heated moment. It was a very heated moment back then as well. And to me, it's more so. More so. And yeah, Yeah, I would agree. Totally. (laughs) And, but what's so key to this is that it's the gospel of the kingdom that brings people together. Yeah. And I think sometimes we sell that short 
and we just think, okay, I just got to like up the ante on like getting all my talking points right or making sure my you know position's correct and those people are wrong. But no, no, no. What's really going to bring the unity that I think we all seek and desire is recognizing that I need to check my assumptions at the door and also recognize that in the midst of that, as the gospel is proclaimed, the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed, there will be people at the table with me that don't look like me, don't act like me, don't think like me, that I probably disagree with on a whole host of issues. But what is uniting us together is the person of Jesus and his work in the kingdom. Yeah. And that's been true from day one. Day one. Yeah. That Jesus brought people to the table Mm -hmm. that were different. Yeah. The calling of the disciples. These are different people hanging out with him. Mm -hmm. I mean, tax collector and a zealot. Zealot. I mean, literally. Way on the other sides. Yeah. I mean, it's literally, it's essentially the terrorist, quote unquote. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I don't exactly know whether it's quotes or not. You have the zealot, and then you have the collaborator. The collaborator, the traitor. The traitor. Yeah, Benedict Arnold. Yeah, um, totally. And so, and Jesus brings these people together and says, okay, under my reign and rule, yes. my precepts, my way of being mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. Um, I think there's an invitation to us to, again, I think I said last time, like humble discernment yep. in our political participation, but I think radical allegiance to Jesus. Mm-hmm. For sure. In everything. Totally. 100%. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, man.